Hey, good morning as well, my brothers and sisters. It's a joy to be with you here this morning. If you're watching online, welcome. If you are watching out on the courtyard on this foggy Sunday morning, welcome. If you are here in this room, again, welcome, welcome. This is an amazing passage from the Gospel of Luke. This week I've been sitting in this passage, Luke 7, 36 through 50, and I feel like after a week of just kind of soaking in it, I feel like I'm there. I've been here. I've watched this scene unfold. And my prayer is that you would also feel like you've been there as we kind of verse by verse walk through this wonderful passage here this morning. Before we get that, though, Brian alluded to Israel. Um, like you over the weekend, um, kind of glued to the news and just watching what's been unfolding there in the Middle East. It was actually Friday night at about 11.30 p.m. Uh, my son Seth and I had just gotten back from the half-nighter here at Calvary. Shout out to all our middle school and adult volunteers who helped at that on Friday night. Got back from that at about 11.30 at night. I had a text from Moran. Moran's one of our Calvary partners. Moran is married and has children, but for security purposes, being an Israeli national, we just use his first name. So Moran texted me and said, please pray, our nation is under attack. And that was the first that I had heard about that. Probably most of you woke up Saturday morning, our time, to read and, and see the same news. If you don't know, this week in Israel is kind of a significant week. It's the Feast of Sukkot. It's also on Saturday, on Sabbath. It was the celebration of the Torah. Uh, in the Hebrew readings, the Torah would have been finished last week, and today or, or yesterday would have been the start of reading the Torah all over again, starting in Genesis chapter 1. And it was on this day that this attack happened from Hamas onto Israel. And as we've been watching the images come through the last 24 hours, it's just my heart has been heavy, as I imagine that yours has been as well. Moran actually texted me just a few hours ago, and this was his prayer that he was asking for us to pray. And we'll pray this in a moment. He said this, pray, pray, and pray. Please tell the church that these, um, that, that for them, that such a time as this, we need them to stand with us. I'll keep sending updates. And then John and Tiffany Davidson, sent out here from Calvary Church, also live in the great city of Jerusalem. And they shared with me through text messages that Saturday morning in Jerusalem, they would uh, get an air raid siren and that would give them 15 seconds to leave their apartment and run down into their safe house in the complex of, of their building. And that happened several times throughout the morning. I mean, just put yourself in those shoes um, on a Saturday, having 15 seconds to run and, and find safety right there. And so uh, the nation of Israel uh, has a lot of stress right now. And via Israel, the world uh, has tension right now. And someone asked me, Matt, do you think this is the end times? Do you think the end times is being ushered in, like literally as we're speaking? And my, uh, I guess my simple answer to that would be yes, and I'm not sure. <laughs> Meaning, yes, every event that happens in Israel has some connection to prophecy, has some connection to what the Lord is planning and laying out. I don't know, spoiler alert, Jesus is coming back. He is coming back as the Lion of Judah the reigning king. And all the events that are happening in the Middle East, and really, frankly, all the events that are happening in our world 
are pointing to that very truth that Jesus is going to return. Now, is this, though, the moment? I don't know. I don't know. Could it be? Possibly. I've read some pastors online the last 24 hours who are like, this is it. Get ready. This is it. And I don't know. What I do know is that we are called to be ready and to be watchful. Amen? And also not to be fearful. Deuteronomy 31.6, the Lord God is with you. Hebrews 13, God will never leave us nor forsake us. Who shall I fear? Shall I fear man? No. And so if you have any anxiety today, man, this is a time and opportunity to go deep in your trust with God. That's why even this series is so ironic. It's faith like this. And it's this idea of, okay, we're watching this first century faith of simple people that encounter Jesus. And the hope is that even as we watch their story with Jesus unfold, that that would even grow our deep trust in Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, can we just pray for Moran and his family and John and Tiffany and, and the nation of Israel right now? So can you just hold your hands up like this if you're able? And let's just go before the Lord. Father, I just thank you that here in Southern California, on a sleepy, foggy day in relative safety, that we can cry out to the God who hears. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God, we just pray for the nation and the people of Israel. God, we pray in their stress and, and worry right now that God, that you would reveal your peace to them, that you would reveal Yeshua, the mighty Savior who has come and will come again. And so God, work mightily in this time. And Father, we lift up Moran and his family to you, God. God, you've made him a leader. You've made him a, uh, really a prophetic voice in this land. God, would you empower him with courage? Would you give him the strength that he needs as, as he watches so many of the young people he's mentored being called in to serve right now? God, give him you. And Lord, we lift up John and Tiffany Lord, I pray that as they process all that's happened the last 48 hours, that God, that you would give them your peace and that, God, you would give them wisdom to know even what the next steps for them are. And so, God, we thank you that we get to partner with these two wonderful families. And, God, we lift up and pray for the peace of Jerusalem, Psalm 22. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so from that, let's attempt to dive into this story. Luke chapter 7, 36 through 50. Aaron did a great job of reading it, and let's just go a little bit deeper. I'm, I'm calling uh, the title of this passage, The Two Debtors. And it really lives out, if you kind of even scroll in your Bible a couple verses up to Luke seven thirty four, where Jesus is called the friend of sinners. And then here in 36 through 50, we see that played out. What, a, what an amazing title for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, that he is a friend of sinners. And we see that right here as he embraces the love, the devotion, the worship of a person who's called sinful. Now I want you for a moment, this is a dinner scene that's taking place so I want you for a moment to imagine if you had the opportunity to invite Jesus for dinner. And so if you can, and this is a little dangerous to do as a pastor, but can you close your eyes for a moment? 
Don't fall asleep on me. Hopefully your coffee, Red Bulls kicked in. Just close your eyes for a moment and I want you to imagine that Jesus has said yes to your invitation and he's coming to your house tonight. Can you imagine, you guys? Just close your eyes. Think about this for a moment. What would you make for dinner tonight if Jesus was coming? Salmon from Trader Joe's? Steak from Stater Brothers or Bristol Farms? (laughs) Hopefully not pork chops. If you remember, Jesus was Jewish, forbidden to eat unkosher animals. How would you clean your house? I want you just to, this might be scary, picture your house right now. Maybe the bed was unmade when you raced here. Maybe there's a cereal oatmeal bowl still in the sink, multiple bowls. How would you clean today in preparation for Jesus? What would you display in your home? A cross? Is that too soon, Jesus? (laughs) What would you hide in your home? Throw in the dirty laundry and one side closet. What background music would you play when Jesus came over? Who would you invite to join you at this meal with Jesus? Or interestingly enough, who would you not invite to be with you at this meal? The day comes. The hour arrives. There's a knock at the door. Are you excited? Are you nervous? Are you full of a list of questions you're going to ask Jesus? Are are you prepared just to listen to him? You open the doors and there is Jesus Christ. Do you greet him? Do you hug him? Do you shake your hand? Do you shake his hand? Do you fall to your knees? He walks inside your home and the dinner begins. Okay, close scene. Open your eyes right there. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine having Jesus inside your apartment, your condo, your house today? It's crazy to think about that, isn't that? But there was people who really walked this earth who had the opportunity to have Jesus inside their home. And this dinner invitation that we see here in verse 36 There was a Pharisee who had the privilege to have Jesus come into his home. And you read here in this verse that Jesus entered the home and he sat down to eat. Now we know that the Pharisee, as we read the story, was named Simon. There's lots of Simons in the Bible, just like there's lots of Marys, right? Lots of Jameses. This is the only time that we read about this particular Simon the Pharisee. There is a Simon the leper who also has Jesus into his home, and there's also a foot washing that takes place. But we think, or I've read, that it's probably different people because a leper would be disqualified from being a Pharisee. So this is probably the only unique time that we see Simon the Pharisee here in this scene. The location I'm thinking is the city, the village of Nain. If you read Luke 7, you know about, we read it a couple weeks ago, that there was a widow whose son was resurrected by Jesus, risen from the dead in this small town of Nain. It seems like, according to chapter 7, that the the location of Jesus has not changed. So potentially he's still in Nain, which is about 10 kilometers, 6-7 miles away from Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. 
about a three-day walk to Jerusalem, about a day and a half walk to the Sea of Galilee where Jesus has uh, most of his three-year ministry. So potentially it's here in Nain, kind of a rare opportunity for Jesus to be in this village. The Pharisee Simon invites him for a meal. And these type of meals would be fairly common in the first century. They would be gatherings that would be men only. Sorry, ladies. And this men only dinner would be a time where the leaders, both religious and village leaders, would come together and they would talk about the Torah. They would talk about religious topics, theology. They would talk about the political activities of their region. So it's fairly common to have these type of dinners uh, regularly. Jesus sits down to eat. Now we read later in the passage too that there's a lot going on in that sentence. That Jesus entered the home and then ate. We know as we read down in the story that Jesus wasn't offered the typical greeting here. Typically there would be three things that would happen when you would invite someone into your home. You would give them a kiss of greeting. Have you ever been into a home that did that or overseas? You would also have their feet cleaned either by a servant or an employee or someone in the home. Maybe even like the youngest child. All of you young, young siblings, think about that. The third thing you would do is that you would anoint their head with olive oil. Olive oil, pretty common in the first century in Israel. If you go there today, olive oil is everywhere. In fact, I had a funny thing. We were in Israel a few years ago, and they go, this is olive oil pressed here in Israel. It's so special. We're selling to you at a great price. I was like, oh, wow, this is my one chance to buy olive oil in Israel. I, I'm so excited. This is going to be amazing. And then I looked down at the shelf, and it said, now sold in Whole Foods. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, because I can just go home and, and get it as well. But it would be traditional to put a little few drops of olive oil, either on your forehead or on the top of your head. So it would be these three greetings, the kiss, the feet washing, and then the oil. It says here in this passage, look at the screen or look at your Bibles. It doesn't mention those three things. Now, from a 2023 perspective, it's like we would miss that. But later in the story, it tells us that, that Jesus wasn't given the, the normal um, hospitality that was expected. As I've been sitting on that thought, it's like, like breaks my heart that Jesus would ever be invited to a dinner and not be properly greeted. In some ways... Jesus is being ignored. Jesus is being marginalized. Jesus is not being respected. He's, he's actually being disrespected. Our God, our Savior, the Lamb of the world, the one who Colossians says, hold all things together, not greeted at a dinner party. Can you imagine Jesus enters your home today and you greet everybody else that's around but you ignore Jesus Christ. It says in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament that he was despised and rejected. This is another example of this. Jesus being despised and rejected. If you have ever been despised or rejected for anything in your life, maybe I'll, I'll take you back to your middle school days. Remember that feeling of just not feeling welcomed or invited or on the outside. Jesus understands you. 
Jesus relates to you. Jesus has walked in your shoes. Here he is at this dinner party, not being respected, not being welcomed properly, being kind of pushed to the edge. It's, it's a heartbreaking scene. Now we also know from history that typically a first century meal would be eaten outside as long as the weather was okay. So this would be a large home in first century Israel. A Pharisee would be probably taken care of by his community. And so a Pharisee religious leader would probably have one of the, the larger homes, the nicer homes in the area, uh, not only for respect and honor, but also because he would be a person that would host a lot of people, either traveling religious leaders or people in the community like these, this men's only dinner. And so you can see this typical home here. They would eat out in the courtyard. And what I've read is that it would be pretty normal for people who were not invited to the party, not invited to the dinner, to kind of peek through the gate. The gates here, you can see in this model, you can see through to the courtyard. And so it would be normal for people to kind of be listening in or what's going on? What, what, what are they talking about? Or for people that were hungry or, or on the edges of society to maybe stand next to the gate and hope that they could get some scraps, some, some leftovers from the meal. And so it's with this scene that we meet the uninvited guest. As the story now unfolds to verse 37 and 38. This woman is called in 37 an immoral woman. Now, if you look at the original language of that, it's a verb meaning sinful, but sinning. It's a continuous action. And so this woman as de is described as a person who is continually sinning. Not just sinned once in her life, not just sinned in her past, but is currently in the brokenness and the filth of her sin. And that's what it means by this idea of immoral woman. Your, your translation might just simply say, more clearly, a sinful woman. It says that she heard about this dinner party. Again, because probably she could see as she walked by through the, the gates or someone that did walk by informed her of where Jesus was. And so somehow, some way, she makes her way into this dinner party. Now, a woman wouldn't be invited here. A woman with a sinful reputation and sinful actions would certainly not be invited to this dinner. But this woman makes her way into this courtyard. It goes on in the verse to say this. She sees Jesus, and she falls at his feet. Again, put yourself in this scene. Number one of Jesus not being invited, not being properly uh, welcomed. And then this woman barges through uh, this men's only dinner, and she falls at the feet of Jesus. Now what we read again in this culture is that you would sit on the ground to eat. Anybody do that in their life right now? You want to be more like Jesus? Just sit on the ground when you eat. But you would sit on the ground when you eat and you would place your feet away from the table, probably like at an angle. So you would almost, in a sense, lean on the person next to you. That would really help our family dinners, wouldn't it? If we just kind of leaned on each other. <laughs> and so with that posture and that setting, in this outdoor courtyard most likely, this woman enters in 
and she falls at the feet of Jesus. And she begins to cry, weeps. I mean, the type of tears where it's not just like your eyes are welling up, but like drops are falling. When was the last time that you did that? She's just crying as she sits, leans, lays at the feet of Jesus Christ. Why was she doing this? What, what was her motive? Why was she crying? I, I think the scripture tells us is that she was weeping over Jesus for three different reasons. One, in humility. As she encounters Jesus, she's just so struck by the awesomeness, the power, the might of Jesus Christ that in humility she just falls at his feet. The scripture says that she cleans his feet with her hair. Again, we live in 2023, but we got to go back to the first century to get some of this stuff. First century, a woman would always keep her hair up. It was undignified. It was embarrassing to put your hair down. In fact, the only people that would put their hair down were prostitutes in public. In private, in the house, you could do whatever you want. But in public, you'd put your hair up. Here she is letting her hair down and using her hair to wipe the feet of Jesus. The tears that she had, fall, had fallen on his feet, she's now wiping them with her hair. She is undignified and she doesn't care because she's so in awe of Jesus. She's so broken by her own position and sin that she lets down her hair, not worried about what the others would think of her in that way. And there's also reverence. She kisses her feet. Culturally, we would know that kissing of feet, it's not something that we do in our culture, right? But in that culture, when you kiss someone's feet, it would show respect. It would show that you were submitting to their authority. And it was something that was typically done to kings. So here is this woman crying over Jesus' feet, letting down her hair in humility and kissing his feet, not in an erotic, weird way, but in a way of saying, you are the king. I bow before you. You are majesty. And then a third thing that we see here is her worship. She breaks out this expensive perfume and wipes it on Jesus' feet. Now, I said that olive oil was the typical way that you would be greeted, right? It was the kiss, the feet washing, and then the olive oil. Olive oil, pretty common in Israel today, pretty common back then. It was fairly cheap. It was like the cheapest stuff you could get. Like picture like when you buy soap for your bathrooms. Like you just kind of get the cheapest stuff, right? Like it's just what it is. Okay, so that's what it was. It was common. She doesn't just use the common thing. She extravagantly uses something that would cost a ton of money. The scriptures describe expensive perfume. She goes way and above and beyond the cultural norm right here. I mean, it's just an incredible scene. Can you picture it? Jesus eating. This woman barges in. She extravagantly, <laughs> in humility, in devotion, in surrender, lifts up. Jesus Christ. Ironically, she is doing this, but what is Simon and the other dinner guests doing? 
They are not joining her at the feet of Jesus. They are not participating in worship right here. Instead, they, they have their, their arms crossed. What does Simon say in this passage? Do you, do you kind of get it like Simon says? <laughs> That's when you've been studying the passage too long and you start kind of laughing at stuff like that. In verse 39, it says this. He thinks to himself. He thinks to himself. What? If this man was a prophet, he would know what type of woman is touching him. Again, connotation here is that she was uh, sexually broken, that she was uh, sinful because of her sexual immorality. That's what the context of, of what he's saying here. So Simon is muttering that to himself, whispering that to himself. And then look at verse 40. It's so good. Jesus, verse 40 says this. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Stop right there. Jesus answered his thoughts. So Simon just thought this. He goes, if this man knew who this woman was, he certainly can't be a prophet because he doesn't know who she is. Jesus showing that he's a prophet, answers his thoughts. <laughs> this is like a Jedi thing, right, if you're a fan of Star Wars. Like, this is amazing. Simon's questioning his prophetic office. Jesus establishes his prophetic office in responding to Simon's thoughts. And then he tells this wonderful story of two people who had a debt. One had 500 denarii or silver coins in debt, the other had 50. To give you a little, again, context of this, 500 silver coins in debt, you would earn, the average wage worker would earn one coin, one denarii a day. So this would be 500 days of debt. So you'd have to work a year and a half to pay off this debt. Maybe you're like, okay, that sounds, I could do that but you still have to like earn money for your own family and, and your own life and food and, and shelter. And so 500 denarii of debt would be insurmountable. It would be something where you'd have to go to debtor's prison and you'd have to basically make yourself a servant, a slave of someone else who would buy off your debt. That was really your only hope. You were in a really bad place. The 50 denarii would be 50 days, 50 wage days of work. Now again, a big debt, something that would be difficult to pay off, but also something that maybe is a little bit more doable. Okay, I, I could borrow $50 worth from a relative. 500, no, but, but maybe 50. But look at the text. In, in Jesus' parable here, there's a line here that just struck me. It says that neither one could pay it off. So neither one had a plan to transfer the balance to a different credit card. <laughs> Neither one had a rich relative that they could lean on. Neither one was able to sell a piece of property to pay off this debt. They both had a debt that they could not pay off. And then it says the money lender does something extreme, extravagant, radical, graceful. The money lender forgives both debts. Wouldn't that be nice today? I was reading earlier this week in a financial report that here in the West, our credit card debt 
as a culture has gone up 8% in 2023, which doesn't mean a lot to me as a non-math guy. (laughs) But I feel it, and I think you feel it too, don't you? As inflation goes up, interest rates go up, man, debt is all, it's a stressful thing. It weighs on us. In this room, I, I know many of us are fighting, struggling with this stuff. So now kind of transfer your mind to this parable. These two people have their debts forgiven. Can you imagine you get in your car and you look down at your phone? Because you're not looking at your phones right now. But uh, you get in your car and you have one of your best friends who's like, hey, I heard your credit card debt's kind of getting higher right now. So I just went ahead and called Citibank. I called Chase and I paid off your debt. Like, can you imagine if if you got that news today? What would you do? How would you feel? How would you thank the person that did this? So these two people have their debts paid off by the money lender. And then Jesus asked this wonderful question. He said, who had the larger debt? Simon the Pharisee now is a little bit stuck. I think he's understanding where this parable is leading to. And so he kind of mutters, well, I guess it's the one who had greater debt paid. And then Jesus looks at this woman who's crying over his feet. And he says, though her sins are many. That's what the text says, right? Though her sins are many, she loves much. She understands how great a debt has been forgiven by her Savior, the one that she anoints. Oh, so good. Now, Simon, sadly, as we look at this story, he's in a bit denial of his own spiritual debt. Maybe he relates to the guy with only 50 denarii of debt, 50 silver coins. And maybe he doesn't feel like he has that great of a debt of sin that that really he's kind of doing God more of a favor by being a leader and follower of him. He's not owing anything to God. We don't know in this story how Simon responds. I, I wish we could understand. Maybe at the end of the dinner, he does fall at the feet of Jesus himself and, and worships him and places his faith in him. The story just simply doesn't tell us that part. But it gives this, this kind of juxtaposition of, of two people. A guy who was in debt but didn't know it and a woman who was in debt and acknowledged it. Where are you this morning? Jesus looks at Simon and he calls him by name. He says, Simon, listen. Maybe Jesus is saying that to you right now. Listen. Are you aware of the debt that you have? Are you aware if you're a Christian how great a debt has been paid? It's incredible to think about. I grew up as a pastor's kid and was in church Sundays, Wednesdays, Fridays, some random Saturday mornings for weird reasons. I was just always at church. I was a good kid. I don't know, I didn't really have like a major rebellion in my life. Oh, well, actually, I did steal a car, I got addicted to heroin, and I was in prison, but then I turned five and I accepted Christ. So, no, I didn't have that story. I have to just, like, before my brothers and sisters, in some ways as I grew up, went to Biola Christian School, I almost felt like I was doing a favor to God by following him. Like, I'm a good kid. 
God's kind of lucky to have me on his team. Then I was actually, I was a young adult, and I went down. You guys know David Jeremiah, pastor in San Diego? I randomly went down to a conference down there. And in the middle of a worship time, we were singing this song about how great a debt has been paid for our lives. And the Spirit of God broke me of my pride. How great a debt that Jesus has paid for my sin. All of a sudden, I realized I have a major, crazy, deep, unworkable debt to a holy God. And I just fell before Jesus and said, Jesus, I need you. I have just as great a sin as anybody else in this world. I hope that you've come to that point too. The scriptures say it all over the place. Psalm 14 says, no one, no one lives righteously. No one. No one's doing a favor by God by being on his team. We all have a great debt. Isaiah 64, our best acts are like filthy rags compared to the holiness of God. And then Romans chapter 3. For everyone has sinned. Who is everyone? Everyone. All of us. We're all in the same boat. We fall short of the holiness, the standards of God. So each of us, whether you think you have a 50 denarii debt or a 500 denarii debt, we all are debtors. And yet it doesn't stay there, does it? Jesus Christ came into this world not as someone to make our lives more comfortable, but as someone who came as a hospital to rescue the broken, the unholy, the sinners. Us. That's why Jesus came. And you see in this passage, the sinful woman moves from being a sinner to a saint. Look at 48, 49, and 50. It says here that Jesus said to the woman, your sins are what? forgiven. Now to be clear, they were not forgiven because she wiped his feet. Jesus is clear here that the next line, your faith has caused you to be cleansed from sin, not your works. So here she is. She's declared forgiven by Jesus. And then look at 49. This, this verse is a little sobering to me. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins. Don't you wish that instead of just questioning or wondering among themselves, don't you wish they would have joined the woman in this moment and fell at the feet of Jesus? But instead, they, they kind of seem removed. They kind of seem indifferent to this scene. The verse 50, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Can you say that? Can you say right now, my faith in Jesus has saved me. I now go in peace. I now go in shalom. I am made right with God through the wonderful act of Jesus Christ on the cross, shedding his blood for me. Can you say that, that your debt has been forgiven? I hope that you can. I hope that you're reminded of that even in this moment of what Jesus has done if you've placed your faith in him. If you're sitting here and you're like, I don't know, it's the first time I'm hearing this. Let today be the day that you place your faith in Jesus Christ to let your debt, your sin be canceled 
once and for all. In just a moment, we're going to have prayer points to my right and my left. Just places for you to come. You can come there if you want to receive Christ for the first time. You can come pray with one of our elders or pastors or prayer leaders. If you just want to go, I'm, I'm fighting through this idea. I know I've been forgiven, but I carry a lot of shame with me right now. I would invite you to come to the prayer points in just a moment. But I also just want to share a quick story with you. Maybe this will encourage you in your story too. Jesus is in the business today of saving sinners. Not just first century, but today. I came across a story this week that was really inspiring to me. It's a woman named Kat Von D. Maybe you've heard of her. She's kind of famous for being famous, if you know what I mean. Kat Von D. grew up in a Seventh-day Adventist home. She was actually a missionary kid. Her parents were Seventh-day Adventist missionaries in Latin America. But when Kat Van Dee came back to the States as a teenager, she went her own way. She became this well-known tattoo artist here in Southern California, opened her own tattoo shop, kind of got a TV show out of that, and then began a series of relationship after relationship with celebrities, business leaders. In fact, one of her relationships was this really public affair that she had. Kat Von D, a year ago, posted online. She said, I'm renouncing magic. I've been dabbling in black magic witchcraft, and today I'm understanding how dangerous and evil that is. I walk away from it. And then last Sunday, this happened. Watch the screen. And watch who's there. Jesus Christ, friend of sinners, including you and me. And there's others out there <laughs> that we need to tell this message to. Who will you tell of the forgiveness of Jesus this week? Let me pray. Father, we just thank you that this story in Luke 7 is true. You really were at this dinner. You really did offer forgiveness to someone who was broken and beat up and, and full of sin. God, thank you not only that you show us that it's possible for anyone, but it's possible for me. And so God, may we sit and relish your forgiveness here today. And God, I pray for anyone in this room whose heart is pounding right now and who knows they need the forgiveness of Jesus once and for all. God, would you give them the courage to place their faith in you today? And God, we think of our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, people we know and interact with this week 
who need to know that you're a friend of sinners. God, empower us to share this wonderful truth. We pray this in the name of Jesus. We said, amen.